Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, to 2021. We're here doing our first uh, town hall for 2021. I'm here at uh, at Lava, the Laboratory for Advanced Visual. Uh, help me out here. Oh, visionary Architect. La the Laboratory of Advanced oh, Vision. Just Visionary Architect. Visionary What's the A? What's the second A? Just, we just yeah. snapped it in. Okay, so so Chris has been so kind and he's hosting us here. And uh, but I I do need to give full disclosure. Australia for our viewers in elsewhere in the world is in the middle of our summer holidays. None of us could be fagged in actually coming out off holidays to talk to you. So we're recording this in December, which means there's 14 days to go in 2021. Dylan, what do you think is going to happen in the next 14 days? Well, it's quite audacious to pretend that we're on the 21st of January. Um, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not going to start predicting 2020 yet. Uh, I've been too many people go woohoo at the end of the year, and I'm like, 14 days left, baby. 14 days left. Okay. So as we as we went through the um, town halls for the Design and Tech Club uh, during 2020, the first set of conversations we had was uh, how was everyone coping? What were they doing to get beyond COVID? And then that progressed yeah. into well, how are we actually thinking about a thriving economy? How do we get beyond zero? And it was really interesting going through that that set of conversations with people that we found that there was there were a few roadblocks in the way to get to the future that we want to get to. There's going to be a bunch of things that we need to work out how to how to arrest. So this conversation that we're having is all about a thriving economy. And a thriving economy has economic factors, it has environmental factors, and it also has equity factors, social equity. So you've got to have great social equity, you've got to have a sustainable economy, and you've got to have a pumping economic set of figures. If you don't have all of that, you haven't got an economy. And it's interesting, over the last year, I think we've found out how unready we are to travel into the future because there were so many things that we weren't prepared for. Dylan, I think um, uh, you and I, before we started the recording here, we were talking about a ship trying to leave the harbour and my contention was that we actually weren't ready to leave the harbour. We didn't fail that ready for the journey. You you had another perspective. Oh yeah, you were you were talking about, you know, do we have fuel, do we have this, do we have do we have everything we need to get out of the gate? And and my point was do we know where we're going? because uh, in order to run an expedition effectively, you do need to have a bearing. You've got to have a, a destination in mind. Even if you know that might change on the way, that's the nature of journeys. But you've got to have something to aim for and correct to along the way. Okay. So we're all in, we're all humans on this call. We're not just business people. I want to go for a quick whip around. What do we think that the uh, the the coming year is going to be for our families compared to what it was last year? Chris, what, what's the, what's twenty twenty one going to have in it for you that you didn't have in twenty twenty? I think we are still trying to figure that out. I think one of the biggest uh, problems is that if people don't have a vision and don't have confidence into the future, it kind of holds back everybody in their planning, in their economic spending, in their forecasting and everything they do. And so I think we need to uh, simply embrace the fact that the future uh, at one point or another will become better than the past. Yep. And we will need to start making plans. They may not be travel plans. They may not be expansion plans, but plans about uh, how we want to transform our lives, our businesses, and uh, including our private lives. Okay. Well, I want to, I want to take you back to January 2020. And... In January 2020, you were looking for a building site to go then build a new home. You obviously had a vision that there was something that was at the end of 2021 that was likely to be a new home for you. So you've gone off and you've bought the property, you've gone through the planning process, you've gone through the construction, you're just at the point where you might be able to start to move in there. That's an example of that, of having that vision for what the future is. How long is it going to take you to finish that project to then get into living that vision? Is that another month? Is it another six months? Well, um, that is at the moment an open question, but maybe just going back uh, for a minute to, to these early months of 2020, like it's probably the most insane idea in hindsight to buy a house and to start building a house during this whole pandemic thing because everybody was predicting that the market will completely collapse, prices will go mm -hmm. uh, bottom and no builder will be available, we will be halfway through construction, then you have another lockdown and everything goes belly up. 
And in reality, interestingly, the property market is kind of the one winner of this whole situation where everywhere, in particular in beach locations, uh, prices are going up, the construction industry is booming. And as a result of that, a lot of architects and designers who are in the domestic market are also booming. Like most people are telling me they've never been uh, busier in their lives. Now, when the house is actually finished um, in relation to to a total handover that's still a few weeks, if not months away. Um, but it's as, as soon as it's inhabitable, I will have you all over for a barbecue. Okay, so, so we've got a barbecue lined up at Chris's somewhere in the future. Everyone who's watching, we won't give you the address because we know what happens on social media if you give out addresses, those parties. So I want to go through the rest of the panel here. Cel, so, so this year for, has been an incredibly reactive year. The, react, the reaction is the, those proactive projects the roadmaps that people had were interrupted. Tell me a little bit from a family perspective, but also from a briefs. Has 2020 actually been absolutely interrupted or is it actually you're just propelling on the plan that you're expecting? Um, yeah, it's an interesting thought. Um, I feel like what 2020 has highlighted from a family perspective is how much we've enjoyed spending time together um, You know, before the morning commute and that was rushing out of the house and, and, and getting our son to school. And now we've got an extra bit of time where he comes and cuddles with us a little bit, um, you know, in the morning. And, and I think that, you know, going forward into 2021, it's a re it's really about how that has highlighted what the new behavior for us and what we're really passionate about with regards to family time is. So I think that's going to change some of the behavior. And I feel like, you know, that extends to beyond family and personal life where, you know, there's, there's a whole range of new behaviors that we have that, that we've observed in 2020 and that we're going to now need to start shaping a future for in 2021. And, I guess, yeah, for me, there's a real excitement about that opportunity, you know, of where are we going to grow to next? What, 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 what are we going to do with this, with this, with these observations? And, and for me, it's, it's, it's a really exciting time. So I want to go into that there because the work that, uh, that Tiger Spike does from a digital transformation, digital experiences, are your clients starting to say, can you help? understand those behavioral differences and can you upgrade so that we're contemporary because they've invested a lot of money in the recent history to go get the experience set as the condition was the conditions changed are they beginning to actually rebrief you to say can you and make sure it remains contemporary yeah um in some ways we are you know what we're seeing is a lot of um, digital transformation projects really focus on very similar outcomes you know efficiencies um, um uh, effective staff workloads and um, optimization etc but something that's starting to come in and and as a, a, I guess a result of the observed behavior of 2020 is a lot more emphasis on on customer satisfaction specifically through digital channels because obviously you know that was the main um, channels that people were using because they weren't able to visit um, you know the brick and mortar so you know collect and mortar e-tailing all of that is starting to have a massive focus on trend analysis I mean it had before but now even more so. Now the briefs are coming in to to be able to sustain that and to build upon that. Um, you know, we're talking about how we can use you know um, predictive models to to bring in um, better retail decisions. And and so we're starting to see an emphasis on that where before it was just you know well we'll get there. Now it's we're actually dealing and we're actually with that now. We're having those conversations. So I feel like there's a lot of uptake based on what we've observed with the behaviors in 2020. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that. Richard, I want to ask you some questions because I know that earlier in the year, um, you and I had a conversation about going to a man-made surf park with your boys. Um, so there was an experience which obviously had been planned probably in 2018, built in 2019, available for the public in 2020. That was the normal back then. What do you think the normal for 2021 and 2022 is likely to go be in those new sorts of experiences? Has the cycle been interrupted or is your surfing just getting better? Yeah, Mark, you ask the most simple questions. <laughs> okay, so let me put it, frame it into perspective for everyone. We've homeschooled our two boys uh, since uh, birth. They've never been to school. and uh, But this year, one's, uh, one's nine and the other one's uh, be 11 in uh, January. Uh, they've gone to school. They've gone to Montessori, which is a free, free, free sort of free type of school. And they have... Absolutely. Uh, talking about the transition from now, the mindset from now to tomorrow, they have actually not just survived, they are thriving in this environment of social interaction. Um, so that's been a fantastic change and will continue to grow. Um, obviously, it has placed homeschool places a lot of strain on 
uh, home life because uh, they're there 24-7. Uh, the surf thing you're talking about is what I would call experiential, physical experiential, and I think there's a great example of how a great place like that with all the setup and all the technology absolutely fell down in terms of the experience that the customer, as ourselves as a family, went there, absolutely hopeless, and they will never go back there again. So that's the sort of impact that those sort of environments have. It's the same with technology. You can have all the great technology in the world. If you can't have a human interaction with it on the simplest basis of actually feeling that you're engaged, that someone loves you, that you want, they want your business, they want to, want to be a, um, have a relationship with you, it's, it's over. And I think this is... Um, taking your question, Mark, and I'm sort of spinning it through, uh, they love the experiential things and the simple, simple things, the simple pleasures, the pool, the beach, you spend a lot of time down by the water. But I think it also emphasises that, that comment I just made about the importance now on human capital mm-hmm. and shift that will be from now on is in, is in humanity and that's where everyone has got to have their focus in terms of brand and customer experience of, of celebrating the human. The work-life balance thing, is basically being t- turfed out. It's really about life, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's that's sort of in a way the absolute amazing opportunity to creative people who who create relationships with the senses to actually have, that's the future. So um, family uh, back to school in a new complete rhythm. Uh, that's a new world for them, uh, and for us, it's a it's a you know, opportunity to see our children, both our two boys, take on a completely different dynamic from out of the home and into a interactive social environment of school where you know it's a it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a as they say it's a jungle out there so whether whether it's a professional service company a retail brand a hospitality band brand or an experience brand if you fail to delight your customers eventually you don't get the receipts that actually keep the business going and that's where then there's a change in equity somebody winds up buying the company often at the discount and then they say, let's go build it back up. So I'll, I'll go to the surf park. I don't think this is their case, but if they've let their customers down and they're not returning, then they've got a very high cost of acquisition for every dollar that they've got. That's unsustainable. They then need to work out how to reintroduce the brand and they need to reimagine that brand for people. That's the sort of brief that you you get from people. So I'd imagine you're going to find in 2021 that there's a whole range of people coming and saying, can Arco help us actually reimagine the brand because we damaged it? maybe 2018, 2019, 2020. Do you see, is that the type of thing that you're expecting to have happen? We've seen retailers bounce back. Do you expect people trying to go and rejuvenate and reimagine their brands coming through in a big way? Well, I think I think that's also part of human nature. When we did, uh, when we worked for Ansett some years ago, we talked about the start of the experience or for Hamilton Island, the start of the experience was that the moment you had an idea that you wanted to go to Hamilton Island. Okay, from the moment you clicked into the start of the ticket to going to the airport to getting on the plane to arriving, that's the experience. And I think the same thing is, going to, is, is happening with a website connection to actually if you want to go to bricks and mortar to go to bricks and mortar or you want to continue on. And, you know, the other thing I, I, I think from my point of view, I had a discussion with someone yesterday in professions, you know, human nature isn't going to change. I mean, so we haven't just suddenly turned over 2021 all different people. But they're still the same people. We're still with the same fears and desires. It's just a question of just tapping into them and being authentic and, I think, having meaning. And that's what I think what's happened with this whole uh, COVID thing of people being at home. They've discovered different meanings for themselves. And um, I think that's that's something that, I mean, it's almost like a, it's, it's getting back to the sandpit for brands. The problem is, though, how do you communicate to a client or a potential client of the importance of that and make it relevant so they'll actually purchase that idea. Because there's all sorts of conversations around the coffee table about doing this, that and the other, but show me the money, show me the commitment, and then, then the creators will get onto it. Uh, there's a big there's a big gap between what we want to do and what a client has the capacity to understand and, and embrace with the implications of that. So it's almost like New Year, the, the New Year break is going to be like the half time for people to say, we weren't happy with the first half of the match. How about we go out and, and play better in the in the second half? And I've got the courage to keep going and doing that. Julie, I want to come across to you and ask you questions about aged care. In 2020, we saw that aged care, that we understood a lot of the shortcomings of it. It was amplified because of COVID. And we now have a public interest and we also have a government interest that aged care is better in the future. It isn't that we just locking old people away and not really caring about them. We want them to be thriving and we want them to be happy 
and we want it to be somewhere which is safe and a meaningful life. Are you looking forward to a 2021 where there's thriving briefs that are coming through and saying, we get it, now can you make aged care even better? We're prepared to take the antidote you said that we needed? I would be so disappointed if there are no lessons learned. Like I just would be so disappointed. So so lessons... It can't get any worse, right? And COVID, you're right, has, has highlighted a lot of things and it surely has to be better. But I find historically the industry has always been procrastinating, overthinking things when really that let's just get stuff done, you know, and, and COVID has been a result of, for all businesses really, and has with my business where I thought, geez, I, I really didn't plan enough, you know, I mean, how do you plan for a pandemic? But I re- the things I wanted to plan and I put aside and really should have just done it, like COVID highlighted to me, my small business, if I had done some planning, we could just be rolling certain things out right now. And, and I felt like I was about six months, eight months behind. In terms of aged care, we really just need to get stuff done. There's so much to do. Um, So I am excited at the potential of some rethought briefs in design and how how care can be given um, in light of situations like... um, like COVID. So it's almost that you need a little branding campaign there, isn't it, around the aged care, get stuff done. You know, it's like a, it, we need a call to action to say, well, we've, we've seen what's happened. We, we've, we've had learnings. Can we now get onto this? Because one of the things that was reflected by Rick Bell um, in the US town halls, Rick, who is the immediate past um, head of design for the city of New York, and he, he, he went through 9-11. There was a report written. They, they just returned to the previous state. They didn't actually fix things up. There was Superstorm Sandy. There were some reports written. They went back to pretty much the same thing. They didn't learn from the reports. I, I think that thing about getting stuff done, let's let's actually take the, the expert learnings out of a, an inquiry and actually set them implement it. That should be the standard that we actually put on government, not just actually accepting them, pushing it under the carpet. So there's a challenge. I, I think we're actually going to go focus on that in one, in one of these. Um, so I want to go across now to um, uh, to Hass. We we've got you with your beautiful beautiful array here and uh, of plants behind you. And so I want to find out 2021 for you and 2020. We had a conversation at the beginning of 2020. You had a son who went across the UK. He thought he was going to actually have the Halcyon year that everything perfect would work out for him. What he didn't realise was the small stumble that he had in his job was only the beginning of the challenges because he's living in 28 days later territory, isn't he? It's like the UK is a mess at the moment. Yeah, he's uh, he's suffered quite a bit actually. He's uh, landed in Leeds the week before they went to hard lockdown. So a, a young lad doesn't know anyone in town doesn't know his roommates. He was basically trapped in his bedroom for four months without speaking to anybody, which was uh, pretty much on uh, solitary confinement. Um, and he did deteriorate quite a bit. He lost 20 kilos and he wasn't a big boy. He's only about 90 kilos. Um, and you could see on his face when we got on the Zoom calls, he was uh, suffering quite a bit emotionally. So I have a personal contact with the, the, the wellness issues that COVID can cause. Yeah, and he's still struggling. Uh, we... We're thinking at one point we're going to have to call it and say, mate, you're going to have to come home. Um, enough is enough, even if it costs us, you know, 20 grand to get you here, whatever ridiculous amount it's going to cost. But that's on a personal level. That, that, was, that was a difficulty that we're travelling through at the moment. Other people are doing it far greater and harder than we have. Some people have lost loved ones. But I do think on a different scale, on a work level, the work-life balance for me, I, I know Richard said it's no longer work-life, it's just life. I wholeheartedly agree with that because life has been better uh, for us here in Australia. And I think we have to look at this problem as a global problem, but individually there are different solutions. So the whole idea of think local, act global um, might be reversed here because I think locally we are different to other places around the world and our solutions have been far more uh, effective. Maybe what the solutions is in the States and Europe is very different to us here. Uh, we have applied the law, Aussies by by, by nature, where, where we care about a community at large, we care about fellow human beings, and we do the right thing. We do whinge and whine and carry on that the government's not doing anything, but we get on with it and we do look after each other. And I think the solution here should be a little bit different maybe than what it is in the UK and the States, because from my industry, where I am seated, uh, there's an existential problem also for us in the new year. And that is 
what does a workplace look like in the future? Mm-hmm. COVID has forced us to rethink it. Uh, we have been in a situation, I suppose, where we have, from an office point of view, not a factory point of view, but from an office point of view, still working on a Victorian post-industrial uh, solution to how an office works. And that was basically interpret what a factory looks like and bring it into the office. We have the uh, taskmaster in the corner suite viewing all of us in banquets of, of uh, workstations. Technology, and it has for a long time, has set us free from that. Our mindset hasn't. COVID has forced us to go down this road where you don't have to be in the office. Mark, you brought it up again. Will we, once this is all over, rebound to our bad habits or will we learn something about this and progress further? That is the uncertainty in our industry and that is the ongoing debate between experts. You get one expert telling you one thing, the other expert telling you the opposite, and we're trying to figure out what that path's going to take us in the near future. But I do can tell you for absolute fact, most of us in the industry have reached that aha moment in time where we've said, we're not going to be doing this in 10 years' time or 20 years' time. Workstations won't be the, fo- way of the future uh, from here on in. What it will be, I need another. I want, I want to take you back there and we'll come to Dylan in a moment, but I was thinking of uh, my former wife. She worked for a company called DDC and they had a product called ClickTrack. And uh, ClickTrack was uh, basically aluminium extrusion that had slimline fluoro tubes in there and it was all, it was all around the built space everywhere. I haven't seen any ClickTrack installed anywhere, but it was actually the main way that big public spaces were being illuminated and we're being serviced. So, you know, in a 10, 20 year period, the idea of click track disappeared as lighting went. I think you're 100% right, Huss, that we're gonna go see that the idea of the workstation and workspace is gonna evaporate pretty quickly and it's gonna come into some pretty free form spaces. Dylan, I wanna go across to you and your free form spaces because you've gone from being the only person in a 200 square meter space into now having a bunch of people. You've solved that by doing something, haven't you? Um, yeah, I have. Well, well, I don't know. I don't know about solved yet. I still, uh, you know, I, I think that one of the things, and I wanted to get, I wanted to sort of touch a little bit on what Richard and Julie and Haas have said so far is my lessons out of 2020, and I hope that they're lessons that as us perhaps meant or didn't mean when he said, think local, act global, which is the flip around of think global, act local. I think that there's there's a resilience we need to think about in all of the things that we do. It's no longer black and white. And you know, to get to your t-shirt, it, it's not about being simple. It's about it's about letting there be both work and life and not thinking about them as opposites or extremes you need to bring into balance. It's about having all of it. It's not about bricks and mortar retail or online. It's about reconnecting a journey so that the journey might, that might start online and and, and, and engage in transactions has has the bricks and mortar experience as a part of that experience. Uh, and it may, might mean that that bricks and mortar component is even more important than it was originally as just a destination to make a sale in. It could be that sense of participation that you want as a culmination of a, of a transacting experience. And I think that that is going to apply to a workplace and to a house and to a life and to the network and connection that you have with your family and your colleagues is that you will not now only meet in person and abandon the digital as soon as you can. You will have all of these streams available to you. And so it means that you think much more carefully about the purpose of your gathering, the purpose of your communication. Um, As we start to bring a team into the studio, there have been some fantastic things. This is probably going to wreak havoc with my internet here because I've gone and bought everybody a headset. It's a noise-cancelling headset that lets everybody still communicate to staff that aren't in the studio at the same time as not disturbing everybody else as if you were trying to have a Zoom call as we were experienced with Hassan phones and part of this and with digital watch connected to something else. Getting the ability to talk together in multiple platforms and not say it's either or is the key for me, is being able to identify those things because we still need to meet with people who aren't in the studio and people who are. And I actually had a Teams chat with somebody the other day and only after we completed all of our conversation and meeting did I realise they were in the office. They were actually already in the office. We had just had this complete Teams it popped up, said, what about this? And I said, oh, here, you know, and we shared a screen. I'm like, you're in the office. Like, 
it would made much more sense for us even then to meet digitally than it did physically. So we've just finished the John Holland office and they're still moving all of their people in. And luckily the foresight there through James Calder and his team was that it wasn't open plan and it wasn't closed office and it wasn't workstations for everybody. It was porous office space, lots and lots of little one-person, two-person breakouts, lots and lots of flexibility and team distributions and growth that we knew would happen in a construction company like that that has a team that goes from 50 to 200 in a month and then back down to 75. How do you make sure you don't have just big empty floors with lots of empty desks in them that make people nervous and aren't about that kind of vibrant, thriving, growing, mixing nature. So I think we have to adapt to let all things be, but all things to be done in a tapestry rather than a singularity. And I think think we're likely to see in the coming 24 months things like uh, Woven Image with their um, sound-deadening acoustic panelling going into interiors. We're also going to see um, Bolon, who have their um, uh, carpet uh, tile system, which uh, has a 22 dB cut um, for noise in the office. You know, there are ways to go and actually get the noise level down. And I'm even thinking of the likes of uh, Muto with their um, uh, with their incredible sound shelves and those big lampshades. Everything yeah. that can actually just deaden the sound of an office is going to be plus, plus, plus. And there are some sophisticated antibacterial surfaces, paints, materials, um, laminates, uh, materials that are actively killing bacteria. And this has been demonstrated at a scientific level that you're that you can that you can put a surface in that will kill bacteria that land on it because of the micro particles that they've got on it that actually break the eukaryotic cell that 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 is that is the foundation of it. So there's some really interesting differences in materials and proximities and pathways and and I think awareness of your surroundings I think people become much more aware and when you're aware you can do more things with them you can connect on different levels you can get a message to people in really different ways when they're out of the rut that is just the day-to-day that they think is 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 the experience and and Hass, I want to go back to you because my uh, my recall for the Chiavello um, product range is that there's that you've got a range of meeting booths, you've got a range of temporary offices that are designed to go and actually augment an open plan office to help people to go get those quiet spaces. The future for us is huge because what we have uh, anticipated is that. People now need to go back to a quiet space. Uh, the open office has become too rambunctious. It's got too much noise. It's too much uh, distraction. And people need to go back to an area to do some focus work while in the office or have a conversation where it's not interrupting everyone else. Now, that quiet space, um, traditional meeting rooms around the perimeter of an office building um, get utilised. We found through uh, doing some analytics and some uh, measurements that get utilised purely because somebody will book them in for an hour or two to make one private phone call, uh, to ring them up. A bit of an underutilisation of the, the space uh, from a real estate point of view, a very expensive space for a pro. So the idea of having personalised booths um, to go away and make a phone call is, is the way of the future. Uh, letting you have the ability to, the autonomy to choose where that is uh, through booking spaces, through uh, not too far into this in future, the Big Brother computer, which will look into your Outlook calendar or your program calendar and know what you're doing from hour to hour, uh, will actually book the spaces for you. I know some of you are cringing and wincing as I speak. I know. Oh, I actually, has, has, I, I want to go pull you up there. and says, I don't think it's a big brother computer. That's actually part of the sustainable future. I've already met, there. It's going to be much more like TikTok. People are going to be like TikTok booking well, the way that they meet either at a cafe that's got a really nice little booth or somewhere on the roof or somewhere out in the space or meet you on the stair landing. Those, it's it's like the difference between Melbourne University today and Melbourne University when I went there five billion years ago, right? We had to book a computer in a computer lab. Now at the university, we had a studio. You had to go there. You'd go there to do your work. And now people do their work wherever they feel most pleasant. There are surfaces in the gardens and landscapes and cafes, and you might you might be studying com- commerce, but you're favourite space to do your work is in the MSD School of Design um, hub. But Dylan, it's just, there's a juxtaposition here. Just because we talk about being on the grid and Big Brother watching us or there's some beacon looking at how many times I 
punch smoke computer take away the dreaded horror movie scenario it's actually a good thing in a sense because it does give you the ability to go and sit in a quiet corner where the sun is shining and there's a bit of greenery and sit with your laptop and work away because it's given us the best of both worlds. Technology set us free from being bound to our deaths. Um, mm, I don't know. You're just binding them to the look, I know it's a contentious debate. I know it's a contentious no, debate. No, I, 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 it's, I, I don't even think it's a debate. I, I mean, I think that uh, there's... The idea that we can break from the industrial mindset of office hours is what you were talking about before. That it used to be because you worked at the railway, you clocked on with your card, yep, you clocked off with yeah. your card, you got your gold watch once you'd done 50 years and you'd Correct. done whatever the fuck it was you were doing, cranking the handle at your desk. Digital oversight of keystrokes and productivity measures like that is just like the industrial thinking applied to the today's technology. I think that the value and the and the and the courage we need in businesses today is to say is to give people that sense of purpose so that they can go and do their work and in the Ken Robinson style of education get that translated into into workplace where people are working to purpose not to product now we're very blessed and lucky and privileged in the creative industries to be our own kind of bosses there, I guess. We're not working in factories. We're not doing that kind of work. But that kind of work is shifting. Roboticization, industrialization, the the technology is shifting that as well. So I think oversight on people's control needs to yeah it's all it all depends on the the evil scenario of who's using the information and how they're using it. Technology is technology. It's it's going to progress forward. You know, when they, when somebody, when somebody um, invented a knife, you can use that to cut your steak, or you can use that to go harm somebody. It's how you use the technology. Um, the idea is that the technology is going to give you the freedom to do what you want, how you do it, when you want to do it. If you want to uh, go walk your dog in the afternoon, uh, and you've got the freedom to do so, because you can now come on seamlessly at, at seven o'clock at night when you like having your meeting with a glass of. Uh, whatever you're, you're drinking, um, fine. Um, it gives you the freedom to uh, transpose your meeting uh, to your particular biorhythms and lifestyle. I know I'm a, 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 I'm a bit of a night owl. I, I'm an insomniac. I'll stay up till one, two o'clock in the morning shopping, mind you. I know that's not the right thing to do, but I do my shopping at the time of night. Um, um, if, if anyone wants to know a good site for buying me some shoes, I'll let you know. Um, uh, the, the point of the matter is it's not restricted and the technology that can sometimes feel like I'm being observed from an industrial point, industrial, uh, uh, sorry. So for every Amazon worker, for example? Absolutely. They're not, they're not going to want you in that sense. But, again, it depends on the corporation that you're working for, the corporate culture they take on, and the premise they have. Um, because there is a yeah, go for it, go for it, Richard, because... I cut in there and say, you know, part of this conversation is, I find, to be honest and a bit frank, is a bit elitist. Uh, you know, it's all about people wanting to be committed and working and finding the best way and how can they get to uh, make a full day, uh, day's work and how can they go to their families and I made a difference. Most people are going to be just like most people have been and will always be. They'll try and get the most they can for the minimum. And, uh, you know, they'll work as they're told to do it, but they don't have the incentive to do what we're all talking about here because we're motivated people. I think that that comes back to the core of everything about purpose. We're all here. We all, I talked about this last time. We all came here into the world with a purpose inbuilt in us as a human being. I happen to believe that. It's just a question of how do you find the purpose that you can match with in an organisation that can give you some sense of, of self-worth and value Great. every day. If you don't have that... Forget all the thing about technology. Everyone's just going to try and find an easy place, lazy, where's my paycheck, I'm going home, I'm going to sit on the couch. That's, that's the basic norm. As you guys are sitting there, very, never, it's never simple. Uh, okay, so, so what I want to do there is I want to reflect on a couple of things. So um, I'm going to put a link in for a, the Boyer lecture that uh, uh, Genevieve Bell uh, went and did uh, two years ago. And the premise behind that, Genevieve was the anthropologist designer at Intel who was trying to help them from stop making dystopian um, technology solutions but more human-centred beneficial ones. Awesome lady. 
her premise was we need to be smart, fast, and connected. So I think we can agree that that's what we need to have. The challenge is, and Dylan's right on this, that so often people become overlords. But if I go to more your world, Richard, where you've been involved with so many sporting brands, you know, if I go look at your branding portfolio in elite sport, you've been involved with all the champions there. And what that says to me is in sport, we go monitor, we monitor every time they burn, and we know how that will affect their performance, and that's a good thing. But most workers are not sports people. They're not elite at performance athletes. So we don't need to know that. And there's no gold medal. There's no one prize. But what we do know is, has in your world of activity-based working, that the activity-based working that is being rolled out means that you actually can bring some intelligence in through the types of APIs that the likes of Tiger, Spike and Microsoft uh, do that says, we know the office load will be only two of our three floors will be needed because the staff had to book into coming on the shuttle bus. And this is what uh, Microsoft and CBRE told me. Microsoft know how many staff are coming on the shuttle bus to their office in the following day. Therefore, they know what desks to put people on and they know what parts of the HVAC system to turn on and they can drop their environmental footprint by a third because they're using some smart systems. So there we've got technology and smart, fast and connected being used for the right purpose. Monitoring keystrokes is absolutely the wrong purpose and that comes down to values. And if I go to Julie's world in aged care, we haven't actually put the, we haven't put the overlay of values on aged care. What we've done is we've said this is end of life stage for people, they're low economic performance units. We don't really care about them. So, so I'm really interested that all of you thread together you know, Celso can come up with some fantastic APIs and interfaces that will give that smart, fast, connected information to people. Dylan, you want to make buildings which are the highest lead rating, the highest well rating. The same for you, Chris. You know, you want you want to build these buildings which are great for the future. But if they're not smart, fast and connected, we can't get there. Because even though you may have made them high energy rating, if they've got the HVAC system turned on when nobody's in them, that's wasteful. And we also need to reflect on what Richard was saying there about not everybody is a high-performance individual. That's what's called high-performance because there's average performance, high-performance, and there's low-performance. And we need to actually have communications. We need to have values and propositions that work for everybody, not just elitists, because then you wind up with the Trump factor where there's some people who were taken into the future and some people who were left behind, and we've got to make sure the social equity is that we decrease the distance between those. So, so to get to a thriving 2021, which was our theme for this conversation, we've actually found out there's a few things we're not quite ready with yet. You know, we don't know how to actually apply all of these. There is a consensus of is it Big Brother or is it useful technology? I'd imagine if I was in Celso's office, they'd all be talking about how wonderful this new API is that looks at public transport and looks at people who are their journeys that they're taking, which means we predict how many trains means we can predict how many lattes should be made, how much milk should be delivered, how much HVAC should be turned on in offices, and we'd say, we're doing a good thing. And then other people are going to say, you're now monitoring too much of my life and I feel watched by the system. We need to get to an understanding of what is an acceptable level, level of intelligence, what is an acceptable level of anonymous monitoring, and what is an acceptable level of individual monitoring in there because if we can't get to that, we're going to have partisan positions, which would just mean that we're going to delay getting to the future. Mark, it's not about acceptable or not. I think that it's it's inevitable that there's going to be more and more data-driven cities, organisations, systems, networks. Everything is going that way. We know it because it's the gold rush of the, of the century, right? Um, what needs to occur is that the people who are determining um, and navigating and maintaining access to what is valuable in that data, that needs a bigger broadband, a bigger broad width. It needs it needs a bandwidth that includes artists and sculptors and musicians, Beautiful. so that when you've got the person who's measuring how many people are coming in on the bus, you can say, "Fuck, we're going to need another busker down on that corner because these people are going to be bored as batshit." What a great time! Hey, I reckon there's a high percentage of classical music liking people turning up at this part of the day, and we know that because we can see how much they're engaging with or stopping with the classical. So let's let's bring the art awesome. into into play. Let's not just make it about fucking energy and HVAC and you know milk. Let's make it about laughter and culture and music and dancing. I read this beautiful quote um, about movement. Yeah, go. Sorry, Huss. 
get into it. I, I think I think we're in furious agreement here. Um, the, the the fact is we, we all have different um, life experiences of leading us all in the same area. Uh, good design is there to serve humanity. And when I say this, because I think we forget that good design, whether it be political, uh, economical, whatever, can alleviate more than just making a nice piece of thing. It can actually, um, in some cases, alleviate depression. It can uh, give you, um, it can monitor and, and a good design can uh, uh, stop domestic violence. I get very passionate about design because it touches every single part of our being all the time and people forget and they think it's a, a, a isolated thing that lives on a bookshelf somewhere design in every aspect of our life touches us and if we design our future and this is the problem that we're having now is good design will, will be the, the future we all want to live mediocre design or just design by clumping along and you know figure out what it's going to that's the kind of design that uh, Dylan's talking about, where we all have a human reaction to, a rebound to. This is not how I want to live. This is not the, what the, the, the government had promised me my life's going to be. This is not what the corporation I thought I was going to join. But if we design it with intent, then it gets to um, a place where it is a little bit more of, you know, how can I make someone's self-worth increase? That is something that is more, I know it's a bit more existential in the sense of where we're trying to think, but I think what Richard was saying about the individuals, we have to take everyone along the journey, just not the stereotype overachievers. We're going to get the, the introverts, the extroverts, the different personality types, everything you think of, that is inclusive in good design. And Hass, I 100% agree with you that in the UK, uh, Europe UK town hall that we were in, did we realised that there was this interesting halo effect thing? You know, we can all talk about this at quite an elite level, but how about the teenage children that are in our world or our life partners? So we're actually going to do a town hall series where we're going to ask people to bring in somebody who's very close to them, either their child or their their life partner, maybe their neighbour, coworker and see if they can actually hold a conversation about design and about solving for a better future. Or is it it's basically it's only the experts who can do it? Have we actually worked out how to radiate out? Because understanding our capacity to radiate out a conversation is key. Otherwise, we don't get impact and we don't get the momentum behind people. So, so I'd have to agree with you. So you're going to have to volunteer a person. Every, actually, everybody on the call is going to have to volunteer a person so that we can work out how do we go actually find out how great or how um, need for future development that conversation is. It'll be a little bit like a boot camp thing. I think it'll be a very interesting thing. So we've we've all got we've all got children, right? We've all got a teenagey kind of someone who we look at. Well, well, okay. Well, those of us that do, no, three. Okay, yeah, so, so I'd love to imagine a conversation between the, the 15, 16, 17-year-olds yeah. where, where you can guide it to say, right, our kids, how are we going to design a better future? And just let them go because yeah. I, I would be completely standard if there wasn't something came out of that where we all just went, fuck, that's a good idea. <laughs> so, so actually, so I'm, not, I'm not sure that we can use all of that in, uh, in the transcript there, Dylan, because uh, there, there were some very challenging words like better future. Um, yeah, but, uh, but teenager. We'll, so we'll clean it up a little, and teenagers, so otherwise they'd understand the rest of it. But I think that's it. We need to know who and how, you know, what do people need and how do they explain what that is? Because even amongst ourselves as we were talking, you know, nobody's trying to chew each other out. But there were still some differences in, in, in the way that we were discussing things, and that has to be thrown together. Imagine people who aren't used to communicating about these challenges, wants, needs and desires, how they actually work out how to live in a symbiotic relationship with each other. I think well, that's going to be very interesting. Mark, if I could just chip in there, Mark, I think this is also where you know, that we're seeing a transfer of, of power from a top down to a bottom up because, you see, you're not going to get people coming into the work and the, the, their offices and stuff if they can't have a clean environment to say the door. I mean, I met a guy who's in a door-making business. He said, our business has gone through the roof because we've got to do we've got to do automatic opening doors now. 
because people actually won't don't uh, don't do it. And then someone mentioned, oh, maybe that's why. And this this wasn't a joke. This was an insight. Maybe that's why overseas in Europe and things there's so much to COVID because you can't actually have any modern uh, facilities like that in the old buildings because they're not built like that. Now there's a really practical thing. Like, how do we live within the world that we've designed ourselves for? Okay, well, that, that that is a that is the new challenge. And I think the people. Uh, that work in organisations that have families, etc., go to schools or whatever in social environments in their day are going to force organisations to change their way of thinking. Because the difficulty we've got as a consultant always is how do you convince the top of the of the tree in an organisation that this is what should happen? And we all know the only way to really do that and the best best way is to have a CEO who understands exactly what a contribution of creativity and imagination can do to a business, and then he will drive it. I always say in business, if the CEO isn't behind the brand change, you can forget it. There's going to be just like pushing it uphill. So yep. my, my, my thinking is that the natural order of things will shift things. The biggest thing I've, I've got to say is I don't know how the organisation at the top on the 23rd floor or who were on the 23rd floor actually are going to understand how the hell are they going to actually run their business into the future given the fact that they've got no idea what to do. Yeah, I think that's right. So, Salsa, you've got this interesting environment with the team at Tiger Spike where you've got a mixture of people who come from highly rational engineering. There is only one answer to go and solve this problem, people. You've got other people who come from a what in uh, America would be referred to as a liberal arts background, so uh, creativity and design in there, who are understanding a little bit more about the craziness of the non-rational human. How's the understanding of the non-rational nature of human needs going, getting that through to the engineers? Is it getting easier or is it getting harder? Are we, are we getting them to understand that a better future might be more human-centred rather than technology-centred? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's been really interesting to hear all the different perspectives because, you know, as a, as a business that is based on technology, you know, um, it might be it might be the case that we would go in with technology first, but that's really not the case. For us, technology is something that we think about only once we've understood what the human desire is, and that's something that we we drive pretty consistently throughout the entire business in terms of not just from a, a design perspective, as you know, and design as a problem solving tool or, or methodology, but a, a, across all the different disciplines and, and engineering, obviously. Um, the way that we've done it with them is bring them along for the ride. So when we have, um, you know, any kind of user engagement, when we have, you know, when we're, when we're focusing on understanding exactly what the problem is, we're not even thinking about solution yet, which is where their mind space, you know, plays a lot of time is why don't you come with us? Let's spend time with, with the people that we're actually, um, you know, trying to understand their, their, their life, understand their environment so that we can actually solve real problems. And the impact that that has is really positive that when they're going to build this product, when they're going to build the experience, they have a much better understanding of how this is going to be used. How, what, what are the pain points that these people are, are going through? And it provides a much better experience instead of, hey, I'm a designer. I went out there and I figured out well, I found out and worked with this person to understand what would be, what is the best thing that they need. And then I've just thrown it over the wall for you to go and build it. So no, we're actually taking them along for the ride. And, and what we see is just empathy for the design process and as a, as a problem solving process across the entire, in, uh, the entire office. And, you know, for me, I always say that, you know, uh, to, to, to the guys in the office that creativity is not something that is exclusive to someone that has the word design in their title. Creativity needs to come from everyone. And so and the only way that we get that culture going is by involving everyone in that and bringing them along for the ride instead of going, hey, you're an engineer or you're a project manager, therefore you cannot be pro solving problems or understanding someone's context. So I feel like that's that's really helped us. And especially now when we when you know when customer satisfaction and customer, you know, like what Richard was saying, that 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 demand from the bottom up in terms of customer experiences and integrated experiences is so vital for businesses right now. Having an understanding of that world is really, really important for us. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm gonna get close to wrapping up here. I just want to have a chat with Chris about a rapid project that he's working on. But so I have to think if there's anything that you um, that you want to add before we close out here. Chris, where this will go to air or be put, put online to stream around about the 7th or the 8th of January. 
you've got a brief that's just come in. We can't talk about who the client is and we can't talk about where it is, but it's just come in your door and we know we're in mid-December and this project is done for you by early January. That's incredibly short, but that's the place of business today, isn't it? Well, we just took on a, a very rapid project that is due on the 7th of January. And um, I mean, in most years, this would be impossible to do and uh, the least likely project to take on board. Uh, even this year, it will be challenging, but I'm not going to turn down a project at the end of 2020 um, where you know, every project leads to the next project and every client that we can make happy uh, will be a client for life. And uh, our teams that are based in different countries, uh, different time zones and also different cultural backgrounds, um, they don't necessarily celebrate Christmas in each of these locations. And they will, as Dylan pointed out, celebrate a Chinese New Year, for example. So we will have these teams work over Christmas and then give them their two weeks in the uh, mm-hmm. beginning of February or but uh, it's interesting, and as I said, most people in Australia probably wouldn't take on a project like a week before Christmas, but I'm actually really excited about it. That's awesome. probably the most exciting. It, it, must, it must be somewhere in, in the Middle East because we I, have, no, we can't say only, it they, only they request you to turn up for the briefing on the 24th of December to test your Western metal. Okay, but, but what's interesting here is, panellists, Chris hasn't, he's got this cognitive dissonance. He thinks his building project is going to actually still be working after this Friday, but we all know Thursday is the last day of any building site working until until middle January. So at least he'll be able to be busy working on this project as he's trying to go through the when is my house going to be finished. So, you know, that's, that's part of the well, interesting I guess, thing I, there. I have a builder who actually is orthodox um, uh, Coptic Christian, and he keeps saying his Christmas is on the 7th of January, awesome. 7th of December. So he brought himself another two weeks and he's still in by Christmas. Because <laughs> we, we, we forget about the Coptic calendar. You know, they're a bit later on Easter. They're a bit later on, on um, uh, Christmas. So you, you've got it now there. Panelists, I'm going to get close to wrapping up. Is there anything that anyone wants to add about a thriving economy um, to nail it, because what's interesting here, we've gone through and we've worked out that 2021 is most likely going to be a huge year. There's just a few things we need to focus on before we start to do that. Just remember to be kind in your thriving economy. That's all I would say. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a key thing. And that's why we need to remember that we've got to have social equity, we need to have a sustainable environment, and we need to have strong economic figures. And that gives us a thriving economy. It's not a, It's not a that those things subtract, they actually add to a thriving economy. Everybody, I'm so humbled to go have your attention, to have your thoughts and your wit. Um, I hope that uh, seeing we're not at Christmas yet, but we are past Christmas, that for the people on the panel here, we hope that you have a great Christmas. For the people who have been through Christmas, unless you're a Coptic Christian, um, that uh, we hope that that's great for you. And uh, welcome to 2021. Our next program is going to be coming to you Um, It will be from the UK and it will be done in real time by people who are in Berlin, London and Paris who are in lockdown and have experienced Christmas and the new year that way. Um, So let's see what they think a thriving 2021 is. Until then, be safe and be happy.